at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now am happy all the day because of what Christ has done. Thank you, ladies, for sharing that great uh, hymn of the faith. We continue in our current Lord's Supper series of messages, series of Lord's Supper messages, which follows this year's theme, namely being in the world, not of the world. There it is. Taken from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, which tells us that very, um, gives us that very command. And today, continuing from the book of Daniel, a message titled, Be Not Conformed to the World. This is the second or third, I think second, Lord's Supper message in this series. And you'll remember um, uh, in November, in the Lord's Supper, we learned from Daniel that he lived by biblical principles. He obeyed. He understood the Word of God that he had at that point some 2,600 years ago, that God's Word is true. And now, all these centuries, these two and a half millennia later, we also hold to that. Folks, God's Word, His written Word, is true. Or it's not. It can't be one way or the other because God's name is on the line here. Thy Word is truth, Jesus prayed in John 17. Well, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, lived that out. And this morning we're going to continue this uh, mini-series, if you will, Lord's Supper messages in the book of Daniel and learn how the believer sometimes falls prey to being conformed to the world and how he or she can avoid this. Daniel chapter 1, and picking up the context to verse 1, but we're going to study verses 5 through 8. Daniel 1 and verse 1. In the third year in the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it, sacked it, basically. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. In other words, kidnap some of the young people. Verse 4, use, in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, gifted in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So not just young people, but educated, smart, uh, motivated young people, the top in their class, the cream of the crop. Kidnap these and bring them back so that we can train them in the way of Babylon. Verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's food and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end of them they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of, of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, 
For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's food, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, it mentions Daniel in verse 8 singular, but we, we reading on down through the text, it talks about all four of them having that very same commitment that they were not going to consume of what was put before them uh, and, and we'll get into that. So Daniel and his fellow captives had everything going against them relative to staying true to God. And folks, please know, in 21st century America and wherever folks are watching uh, in various places in the world and in every service, uh, there are those who are tuning in uh, in various other countries, in this present day, the world does not want us to follow the Lord, to faith, be faithful unto him, any more than the world system wanted Daniel and his three friends to, in fact, follow the Lord. So, temptation is there to cave in, to be conformed to the world. I want to offer three considerations, if you will, three principles which Daniel faced and often makes a difference between a righteous walk or an unrighteous walk. Thankfully, Daniel and the other three uh, compatriots followed the right way. First of all, you're conformed to the world when there's the lack of community, and that's exactly what they experienced. Daniel, the first crisis maybe in life that he faced is that he was forcibly removed from where what he always knew, likely as a teenager. Uh, The text says, use are young people. Maybe he was a very young man, but almost certainly it was more like 14, 15, 16 years old, somewhere along in there. He was taken suddenly. He did not have time to repair very likely. And folks, that's the case with the temptation to worldliness. Even in, uh, in my day and in my age, having walked with the Lord for well over 45 years, temptation will come at me without any notice, just like Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem with a moment's notice and take, took them captive and they were gone. And so the, the lesson here is uh, relative to community is I might not always have you. You might not always have me and have one another. Uh, and are you going to be pre- uh, prepared to stand alone if there is the absence of your spiritual community, as was the case with Daniel. Be ready. Walk circumspectly. That is, being aware of what is going on around you, because temptation is lurking on every corner, ready to attack you, as was the case with Daniel. Now, relative to this lack of community, the commonality of family was stolen away from from Daniel. The best we know, he never went back home. He was aggressively, forcibly kidnapped away from his family, uh, and it's all but certain he never saw them uh, again. And how his heart must have longed for home. And one doesn't have to be 
uh, taken physically away from one's family. Uh, one can just leave and rebel and fall and cave to temptation, maybe still living under the same roof, but be very distant from what was once common and what was once shared lives together. Daniel was tempted, likely, with anger, with bitterness, with despair, with loneliness, and all the rest certainly must have invaded him, wanting to steal his heart away from the Lord, and yet he remained strong and true to the Lord. Young people, the enemy, the world, wants to steal your heart from Bible-believing families. Now listen to me, young people, teenagers, listen to me. If you're 14 years old, 16, 18, 20, somewhere in there, 24, 28, you are most susceptible. You are much more susceptible than the six or the eight-year-old, for they are still uh, uh, children uh, uh, and directed by parents, and, and they're still thinking as children. But you all who, uh, who have crossed over the river, as it were, and now you are thinking more in an adult way, yet inexperienced in life, and don't have the experience with the enemy and temptations that uh, older, more mature folks do, just know the enemy is targeting you. Nebuchadnezzar is targeting you. He's coming to your Jerusalem. He's coming to a home on your block, as it were, and wants to invade your life with temptation, which will lead to ruin if you submit to it. Now is not a good time if you're handling it on your own to be a, a teenager or a young adult because the devil is stronger than you, smarter than you, and he's ubiquitous. His temptations are. And uh, that is, they're everywhere. Uh, and he wants to steal your heart from the family and the family of God who loves you, who has poured themselves into you. 18-year-olds, listen to what I am saying. When you go off uh, to the military, when you go off to college, when you go off to the workforce, everyone seemingly is ungodly and wants to suck you into that world environment. Older adults, can I get a witness? It happens. It happens. Why is church life like this with, with children and young adults? It's, it grows and grows and grows until about age 14, 16, 18 plateaus, and then the bottom falls out until married with kids. What is it with the 20-year-olds and the 24-year-olds and the 28-year-olds who are sucked in to the world at a higher percentage, a higher proportion than any other demographic? It's because they're soloing it. They're out there on their own without life experience to deal with all the temptations that come their way. That's because the family is removed. Secondly, the camaraderie of friends was stifled. That is, Daniel, his fellow captives, they lost their freedom. They couldn't uh, go and, and worship as they once did. They were forbidden. Uh, they, uh, they were prisoners, basically, in a pagan land. So not only was the family gone who, who loved them, but even their own lives were restricted to the degree, if you'll notice this, and this is not mine at all, I, I, uh, I got this, uh, I don't even remember where I got this, uh, uh, this next screen. 
But if you'll notice, their names given by their godly parents, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, by the way, Edrin uh, Yamuchi, uh, that uh, Pastor Skirbina says is an absolute scholar in this. I, I didn't, wasn't familiar with his name, but he knew, he knew his name immediately. Uh, as he uh, put this in Bibliotheca Sacra, uh, the journal out of uh, Dallas Seminary. Anyway, they changed their name. As soon as they landed in, in Babylon, well, the first thing we need to do is, is brainwash. We have to change their thinking. We have to change that old-time theology uh, and bring it up to date. So we're going to change their names. And no longer did they go by their Hebrew names, but they now had to be called by their own, uh, the, the new names, which you can see uh, is uh, very much uh, pagan in uh, orientation. Young people, the world wants to change your identity. My, uh, is that ever an understatement in this day? Not just gender identity, but wants to change uh, your theological roots. Doesn't want you to hold on to a, a, a Bible-based theology and philosophy for life. Absolutely not. They want you to, in fact, cave in. Now, what is a very quick way to lose your identity? That is to know who you are in Christ and, uh, or, or to know who a believer is in Christ. Maybe you're not in Christ. Maybe that's the, uh, the greatest uh, uh, issue, uh, uh, in fact, affecting you. Uh, but let's just say that, in fact, you do know him. What is the greatest way to lose that sense of being a God-fearing Christian following the Lord? Well, Scripture would say and suggest evil company. That is running with the lost, doing things with the lost. That is becoming uh, bosom buddies with those who are ungodly. It's rubbing up next to the world, thinking that you're not going to be soiled. Thinking that, folks, you young people, young adults, if you're going to lie down with dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas. That's just the fact of the matter. Or the Word of God is to, so out of touch and out of tune that uh, uh, God is clueless about what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 33. <clears throat> the issue is not being in the world. Of course we're in the world. We're in the world as salt and light to make a difference, but we're never to be, as people of God, never to be of the world. So Daniel and his friends face that. They are in the world. I mean, they're in Babylon. But they said, we're not going to be of the world. They had that deep heart conviction. Practically speaking, what does this look like? <clears throat> I'm picking on you 18 and 20 and 22-year-olds. I don't know why. It's just fun for me. And by the way, we have a, a host of those here, uh, uh, relative proportionately at this church, and for which I am so grateful we must have brought in extra chairs three times this morning uh, in the youth and uh, young single adult Sunday school class. It was packed in there. And to God be the glory. May he raise up a generation of Daniels and Esthers uh, and those who will stand true to him in the midst of temptation coming everywhere. I'm so thankful that we do have that. But how does it practically, what does it practically look like? Actually walking this out of, of putting yourself in a position 
to be swallowed up by the world. I told my teenagers and young adults when, when they were growing up in my home, I want you to tell me what one good thing goes on after midnight in this world. Dad, I'm 19. I don't need a curfew. Well, that's fine. I'm not going to give you a curfew. You just have to be in by midnight. <laughs> Why? You live here? I pay the bills. Yeah, but I'm fine. What goes on righteously in our culture after midnight? Well, ambulances are running to, okay, you want to work on an ambulance after midnight? To God be the glory. Emergency room personnel? Wonderful. Policemen are working? Yes. Go there. But generally speaking, and for the most part, there isn't much going on righteously at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Is that right? Can I get a witness at all? So, who, who are your running mates? With whom are you fellowshipping? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had that taken from them. <clears throat> Thirdly, and I've alluded to it, the communion of faith was stopped. No longer could they attend a worship service and robustly sing how great there are. There weren't any. They were in a pagan land. The Babylonians didn't have any use for God, didn't need God, because after all, they had just conquered Judah, Jerusalem. They had just sacked the city. Uh, they, uh, they had just taken all these young scholarly, uh, uh, pe these young people who, who, who were quite excelling in their disciplines, taken them and kidnapped them. Apparently, your God is impotent or irrelevant or unconcerned because look at the plight that you are in. You are now us, and you're going to do as we say, Daniel and their, his friends, they knew otherwise. So thankful this is recorded in the Word of God because there is victory for young people who will honor the Lord and stand true to Him. Be not conformed to this world. So the absence of that community. Secondly, the temptation is going to come for the loss of convictions. The loss of convictions. It's the next step toward worldliness. A believer, a believer is removed from his or her faith community, family, faith community, stops going to church, stops fellowshipping with believers, stops reading his Bible. She stops singing, how great thou art, uh, in her car, heading to school, whatever it might be. You're removed from that. And now the convictions start diminishing away. Folks, that's why it is so important that we honor and believe and obey Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke. In other words, we're to have one another on our minds and stir up each other unto love and good works. How? By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some folks do that, but don't do that. And so much more as you see his return approaching. Meet together. Meet together for what purpose? To spur one another on and to stir one another up in the Lord. Daniel was given 
food and drink, which he knew in his heart was forbidden. He was not going to do that, nor were his three compatriots. And now the question is, why was it forbidden? Why didn't he, why did he say he's not going to partake? Well, let me offer a couple of reasons. We don't know for certain. It's either one or both or something else additionally. He knew it would be an infraction of the word. It'd be a violation of scripture. There was something about what they were going to serve him, what he was being offered, which was forbidden in the Mosaic law. He would have hearkened back to Leviticus chapter 11, uh, and he would, have, uh, he would have seen a list of do's and don'ts relative to food and drink. And he knew that this would be a violation. It would be uh, unclean for God's ethnic people to partake of that. God had restrictions on food and drink in his word. Of course, Acts chapter 10, uh, the Lord says, don't call unclean what is clean. Uh, in Christ's fulfillment of the law, he completed that. But at that time, they were under uh, uh, dietary laws. And so Daniel and his friends were willing to die because of disobedience uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, because of starvation, if they weren't going to give anything, they were willing to die instead of violating the Word of God. Notice in verses 9 and 10 where we can, we can know that that's for sure. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor, compassion with the prince of the universe. In other words, this prince respected him. Uh, Daniel is a solid guy. And the prince of the eunuch said unto Daniel, I fear my Lord. I, feel the, I fear the king. I fear Nebuchadnezzar, who has appointed your food, your drink. For why should he see your faces worse looking than the youth who are of your age? Then shall you make me endanger my head with the king. I'm going to get in trouble if you forsake what he has provided. So seemingly, it would be a violation of the word of God. Or maybe Daniel and his friends knew that it would be identification with the world. That is, they were resisting because maybe it had been food offered to an idol, drink offered to an idol, which was done publicly. Certainly that was done. Maybe that was what was being offered, and they uh, connected the dots and, and said in their hearts and to their authority, we're not going to partake because we're not identifying with the sacrifice that was made uh, to an idol, so we're not participating in that. Um, and folks, young people, it's exactly what the world wants to see happen to committed Bible believers. The world does not want you to have those kind of convictions, those kind of deep-seated convictions. They'll want to tear away at those convictions, uh, belittle you, make fun of you, uh, uh, say, well, you're just, you're, you're, you're a, 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 a uh, uh, what's the word, a, a hater, a, a, a bigot, because you hold to this uh, level of morality right from the Word of God. And they will want you to have the loss of conviction. So, Whatever the reason was, Daniel and his friends knew we're not going to partake of this. We're not going to lose our convictions. We're going to stand on the convictions of the Word of God, even if death is the result of it. And we saw that play out in, in a, in a uh, profound way, i.e., lion's den, i.e., fiery furnace. They 
all said, we're not going to compromise convictions because we're going to stand true to the Lord. Be not conformed to this world. And then thirdly, the lure of compromise. I lose my commonality, my family, my friends in Christ. Convictions are starting to be diluted and removed. And now it's full-blown compromise. I know less about fishing than anyone I know. I won't say I hate to go fishing, but I'd rather do just about anything else. Last night I was listening to paint dry instead of going fishing. But I've observed something about fishermen. They have tricks up their sleeves. Fishermen bait their hooks with a lure. That which appears to be appealing to the fish. I think I'm getting this right. I think that's how they do it. I think that's the principle. Is you have a lure. But I want to warn the fish. First a look. And then the hook. And then it's time to cook. (laughs) The fish don't know this. And folks, sheep of God, you need to be reminded that the wolf, mixing my metaphors, the wolf is out there. I need to be reminded. Oh, do I need to be reminded? Because when you gain some knowledge and you grow up in Awana and you're, in a, you're a citation award winner and, uh, uh, and uh, you can uh, recite Bible verses and you've even gone on a mission trip and on and on, take heed when you stand what? Lest you fall. So I need to be reminded of this, the lure of compromise. How does it happen? What's the actual mechanism which entraps the believer to follow the path of worldliness? What's found in the Word of God, that mechanism? First of all, there's a looking at the world. There is a looking at the world. Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of of the ungodly. The temptation comes when the believer begins to be strolling with the world, just walking alongside uh, your good friends at work, your good, good friends at school, in the neighborhood, and the like. Maybe uh, your good friend at church who's already gone into the world, and you start uh, walking side by side with him or her. But blessed is the one who doesn't do that with the ungodly. A believer who's abiding in Christ may see the things of the world, but he already has the conviction not to compromise. So it's a looking at the world, and then it's a lusting after the world, a lusting after the world. That is, you stop and you linger over that temptation, and that is the setting of the hook. That's the setting of the hook in the mouth of the fish. The fish bites down, the fish turns one way or the other, and the hook is set, and now the struggle and the battle are on for that person's well-being, that person's life. It's to lust 
after that temptation. And Psalm 1, 1b says, nor does that one who's the godly stand in the way of sinners. You don't just pull over and park with the lost. Remember, the devil always tries to make things look better than they are and promise more than he can deliver. Oh, this will give you satisfaction. This will make you popular. This is what you need in your life. All the while, it's compromising the things of God. Daniel and his friends faced that. And they said a resolute no. Now, they weren't ugly about it. In fact, they were even pretty respectful about it. But they were resolute. Young people, teenagers, you can be resolute and respectful at the same time, i.e., see the life of Christ. And you will find that perfect balance of being resolute, operating from convictions, while having a pleasant demeanor all in one. I ask you this. How many prostitutes are filled with joy in life? How many alcohol, alcoholics, drug addicts, um, by and large, have fulfilled lives. Dependency leads to misery, combines guilt, ends up with emptiness. There's no pot of gold at the end of the worldly rainbow. Thirdly, it's now loving the world. Loving the world. And that's what the end of verse 1 of Psalm 1 says, the, the godly do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Not only have you left community, family, uh, f- the faith of, of, of that which you grew up in a Bible-believing church, not only have the convictions uh, diminished in your soul and how you operate, now it's as if you defend worldliness. You defend the things of the world. And how many 18 and 20 and 25-year-olds have we seen head down that path? And it began with, hath God said? And that temptation came when there was moral perfection in the world with Adam and Eve. We have it coming at us non-stop. Folks, non-stop. The temptation comes at me, comes at you, to compromise godly principles, biblical convictions, with the promise that somehow, God knows, he'll forgive me anyway, on and on. And it's a life of ruin. And so as children of God, we are in the world. We must not be of the world. By his grace, for his glory, he's given us this text as a strong reminder to be resolute in following him. Lord, I'm so thankful for this, your word, that you've made it crystal clear that we are in the world. We're here to make a difference, but we're not to be of the world in any way, shape, or form. And so, Lord, guard our hearts. Bring deeper convictions. 
bring a, a resolute spirit to turn from temptation and cling to you, to abide in you moment by moment. And Lord, as we receive the elements of the Lord's table, let us live out our days in remembrance of you. And in doing such, you'll be honored. Our lives will be blessed as we are not conformed to the world. Bring that to pass in our lives, Lord Jesus, in your name.